Well, you look scared. <laughs> I uh, am a little scared only because I feel that there are a lot of toxic myths of Hollywood. <laughs> there are a lot of toxic things in the world. There are a lot of toxic things in the world. And this conversation being about the toxic myths yes. of Hollywood, I don't even really know where to start. I mean, it is hard and it is big. I will say as an entry point, this is a conversation between actress Judy Reyes of Scrubs and Claws. Guys, just as a side note, can talk about Claws for a really long time. We'll come back to that. It is moderated and had with, I would even say more than moderated, Mo Ryan, who is a contributing editor at Vanity Fair. But more specifically, this conversation came out of a book that Mo is writing that will be out sometime next year called Burn It Down. If you follow Mo on social media, writing a book is hard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I think this has been her whole world for a very long time. And so the fact that we, this was our first year back in person at the festival and we love Mo and she's come and done really great things with us. Um, I feel like the, it took us a long time to get her there. And then once we got her to the festival, she was there every year afterwards. Um, and I think that this being her first year back and the fact that her last year at least has been so absorbed in this book. It was just really easy to give her the platform. She moderated other things, but to kind of talk about what she's been writing. Um, so she requested Judy to be the person she had the conversation with because Judy has been outspoken and vocal about um, some of the toxicity in the industry. Um, so that's the starting place for what it's all about. I am really curious about both the conversation and Mo's book because it's such a big topic. And I think there's a, uh, a probably a misconception or uh, a way that it would be a disservice to focus on only, you know, sort of the Me Too mov movement mm -hmm. or like one piece of the problem in the industry and the world. And I think they're going to go bigger than that of just like the whole system of a collaborative medium, like who is in charge, who is setting yeah. the tone, who in, in all of the desires of people and the industry to make things better, who are we listening to and how are we doing that? And it's really easy in terms of any position of power that the person at the top of the call sheet and the person who makes the most money or the person who's visual, you know, the showrunner, the creator can have the biggest say, but it is lest we forget a collaborative medium. And so how do you, both insight change and listen to people, but also lead a, a, a ship and a project. So but I think it's also so interesting when there's obviously decades of a system that's been in place. Some things about the system works. We get new movies all the time. We get new TV shows all the time. It's things are still being churned yep. out. It is a business. Some things are being canceled way too prematurely now. That's oh, a different yes. subject for a different time. But that when there's, a system that's been in place for so long and even though it's so obvious that things need to change and people are working really hard to change things it also change can take a while and when people I think want immediate change sometimes the things that they do they go to drastic measures and whatever it is is then not sustainable yeah that you have to start a little bit at the base which is the title burn it down mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense I don't know if this is exactly what she's talking about but sometimes it is a the system is so broken. You can't just change one thing. You really have to clean slate it and start right. over. But how do you do that? And also 
continue the system running at the same time. And how do you do it? Like we've said, it's a business, but it is also art. And like I've been using the word collaborative, but I was recently in kind of a longer debate and I honestly can see both sides about it is art by committee versus singular Mm. vision art. And I can come up with a ton of examples of people who are labeled any number of words that you may like or not like, but like auteur or anybody that has this like very strong kind of singular vision and the people that work with them to bring it to fruition. So yes, by design, pretty much anything besides painters maybe (laughs) is a collaborative art medium. Even like a book is going to go through an editing and a publishing process, but then there are extremely collaborative writers rooms and producing partners and directors and producers that work together and, and just partnerships in general. And I can think through a lot of art that is better because of that. Like I think of Joel and Joe of the Americans. I'm currently watching the patient and they are clearly an amazing partnership Mm -hmm. to create things. And that's only two of them out of a bigger system. Whereas there are also people that sometimes People don't say super nice things about them, but make really great art that is a singular vision art. I bet there's also people that they do say great things about them that can be leaders Mm -hmm. with a very strong vision as a solo person. But that becomes when you put it into a business model and into collaboration, it's like the fallibility of of leadership and, and how you communicate those things. And that's taking the... The really kind of there are other there's lots of problems and toxic things in an industry and people who abuse power because they want to. But even with the best of intentions, putting those things into practice and then put on top of it decades and decades like, yes, burn it down and build it back. (laughs) Because when you think about some of the shows and I don't even want to get into what these shows are, but we all know that there are many of them that you love the show and then you hear it was a terrible place to work Mm -hmm. and a terrible set to be on and people don't want to go back and revisit it and how you can separate from your head. And I'm not even talking about a specific person because I know there's a whole conversation to be had on a person that has written or directed something or a musician or whatnot that then horrible things come out about. And you're like, how can I separate the art from the artist? But if you're looking at in this case, a TV show as a whole, and you hear this TV show was really hard and these people really didn't enjoy it and creating this art, there was nothing enjoyable about it and they don't want to revisit it, but you love it so much as a consumer. Yeah. How that now impacts the way you view it, if it does. Yeah. And what that means going forward, knowing this really toxic place created this beautiful piece of art that impacted people usually in a really positive way, whatever that might be, even Mm -hmm. if it's not a happy show. And do you take that away from people? It I'm not condoning toxicness no, 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 no. anywhere. No, no, no. But it is the thing of like, one, was it worth it? Two, it, it is the place where art meets business that I think is really unique about Hollywood in general is, is that. Well, I think the thing, as I'm even saying this and as we're having this conversation, I think the difference, as opposed to being like, oh, sometimes a toxic place can produce great art. It's a, the way, where we are now in the world, I believe what is being talked about and I think what Mo is even trying to prove is it doesn't have to be a toxic place to produce great art. Right. That we make exceptions for these past shows where they did, had 
negative experiences, but that doesn't have to be going forward. So it's hard. We can't go back and change the past, obviously, but we can change what's happening right now and we can still produce really great art, but the whole system has to be changed. Mm -hmm. And everybody has to get behind that. But then there's this big question of like, how do you do that? Which Mo, that's for you to answer. Um, so this is just the start, um, a micro conversation for a very big subject and a very big book, I'm assuming that's coming out, but we're really excited to have Mo back and to have Judy there for the second time, because again, claws, um, but with that guys, listen to the toxic myths of Hollywood with Judy Reyes and Mo Ryan. Hey, how's everybody doing? Good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for coming. This has been so much fun. It really has. I want everyone to come back every year. I want. I, I love this this whole fest. So we love TV. So I think you remember back in the day. I don't know if you all are old enough when everybody was like TV. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. I grew up on TV. I loved every single little thing about it. I did too. Yeah. Yeah. Reruns, the whole thing. I watched. Um, I can specifically remember. Rerun from what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's. <laughs> I remember, remember this, like probably no one, has anyone seen the, the little way old school Superman TV show yeah. that was oh, in the early 80s? I would come home from school and my mom would be like, it's a nice day out. I'm like, yeah, but there's middle-aged Superman. Vaguely, vaguely sad about My stuff. favorite day was Academy Awards Sunday. Back in the day when there was like no VCR or anything and the Cam- Academy Awards came every year on Academy Awards Sunday, it would be an entire day of Academy Award nominated films and I, I never left yeah. and it was always West Side Story, Singing in the Rain, To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, uh, To Sir with Love yeah. and uh, it was like 12 hours of great TV that I wake up at 6 in the morning to watch until the show and I never watched the show. We would um, have a channel that did all Fred Astaire and Ginger Roger movies on New Year's Eve. Yes and as a kid I'm like I want to be in I want to be at them. I want to be at them. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the one where Fred Astaire ended up uh, oh, yeah. dancing on the ceiling. Yeah, yeah. Lionel Richie. <laughs> there you go. That's where you um, So I will try not to spend the entire panel super fanning Judy, but I might a little. I'm a, I'm a huge I'll fan allow of her it. work. I, I just, every single thing that Judy appears in, she makes better. And so thank you for all you've thank done. Thank you. Um, yay! Let's do that. Um, I was super thrilled that you were willing to talk to me about this. Um, I am writing a book, and my hopefully short elevator pitch for my book is: Are things the same as when I began covering TV, or when you began to, when you entered the industry? I, I don't think so. You can tell me. I, mean, I think some things are different. I mean, in my experience, yeah, a lot of things are different. You don't do twenty-four episodes. Of, uh, uh, of a show every year. Right. Um, now it's like 10, now there's all kinds of streamers. So it's all about manuf- creating product, creating product. At that time, you know, when I was starting, this time would have been great for me because there's so many more options. Yeah. Um, but it, you sacrifice the quality of programming. I mean, half the time I spend like flipping to see what I wanna watch. And then like half an hour is gone, I'm like, Fuck it, I'll watch a rerun of something else that I love. I was, that's what I did on the plane on my way over here. I was like, what am I going to watch? I don't know what to watch. And I was like, I'm going to watch Kramer versus Kramer again. Again, right. Yeah, yeah like my big thing. And they're just do. like, look at Meryl Streep, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and it never, it never ceases to blow your mind. And I think that's what you want as mm-hmm. a viewer. 
You want, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be critically acclaimed or, or anything like that. You just want something that'll just take you to that place that you really want to watch another one. Yeah. You don't have to wait anymore for the next week. You can watch everything all at once, mm -hmm. um, which I like. Yeah. But uh, on the other hand, uh, there's something I miss about having to wait next week and making your appointment for watching TV as a group or as an individual, you know? I think that I really, I mean, I, when I was sort of in my prime, mostly doing critic stuff as opposed to, I've always been sort of a hybrid reporter and critic, but when I was doing more sort of focused on critical stuff, you know, having a week to digest that episode of Lost or, you know, it was just you know, mm -hmm. so rich. Mm -hmm. It was so interesting that you wanted to have time. Or even The Shield, you're like, oh my gosh, that episode. You spend your time thinking about it. What are yeah. they going to do next? Why did they How do that? Oh, she was really good. That part sucked. <laughs> <laughs> because I think also one of the disappointments of having to watch all the episodes at once is that you, you see all the, um, what, what, do you, what do you call it when, the exposition? Mm -hmm. You know, and how they repeat the stuff just to remind the viewer <laughs> what they just saw. Yeah, that which was it, ten minutes ago. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, was that? That was just. I just saw that that episode like an hour ago. Why are you telling me again? And you can see um, it's uh, uh, often what happens uh, in terms of what's different now. It, it starts off really great, and then by you only get ten episodes, right? Mm -hmm. So by the like sixth or seventh, you're like, if if it's a quality show, uh, it, it actually elevates. But usually. It just goes where it feels repetitive, yeah. you know? And I noticed that a lot. I was like, God, I wonder if we did that. And I think mm -hmm. on Scrubs in particular, um, it's when we felt, or when Bill felt like there was nowhere else to go that we had to end the show. We didn't have to do it, but it's like what they call jumping the shark, mm -hmm. right? From, from the happy days. Right. It's like, we have, it's time. It's time to move on. And I feel like a lot of shows are not getting that opportunity mm -hmm. to like really mine everything that could be so mm -hmm. rich and so interesting. Um, so in the last few years, I've done a lot more reporting on uh, bad stuff. Let's just call it that, like, mm -hmm. you know, toxicity, bad leadership, um, racial bias, sexism, um, like all, all the things, all the, you know, things that we as, as a world and as entertainment community wish were not as prevalent as they were. Um, and so part of the reason I'm writing the book is because those things have changed, like the, the length of the season, where it goes, mm -hmm. how it's done, who, how, you know, who gets to tell the story. But it, I, I'd be interested to get your perspective on, I think for a long time, the notion of even what creativity is and who has it, who is an auteur, who is an artist, who can be difficult. Mm -hmm. um, one of the chapters of my book is called The Myth of Creativity. And I wanted to get your take on when somebody says, well, that's just my process. I mean, is that still happening where people say that behavior that was unprofessional, is that still a thing? What a good question. I think it is still a thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it depends on where on the call sheet someone lands. <laughs> that's exactly Oftentimes. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's necessary um, to call it your process. On the other hand, there are circumstances where, which call for someone to, uh, someone whose process that already is, to put their foot down in order to stand up for themselves. It's very difficult, or it's challenging, I should say. I enjoy every minute of it. Uh, but uh, to be on a show, or to be the number one on a show, um, 
And so some people really require for that to be their process, especially if they're on, this, on the sh set and on the show every day in almost every scene. I think um, it's a waste of your time as an individual and as a, creative, a part of that creative process to waste your time uh, worrying about what a dick or what a bitch somebody is, you know what I mean? Um, because you're gonna come across it no matter what. I, again, I don't think it's necessary to be that, mm -hmm. but um, to let someone's process be their process, you know, and not let it affect your work. Because oftentimes that process distracts from your work. Yeah. And um, to quote Johnny C, I come from the theater, <laughs> and I can't, I can't be bothered with that shit, you know. Not that it doesn't affect you, you know. And then, but then you're spending most of your time talking with co-stars about what uh, bleep bleep this person who's having their particular process. Um, again, I pre appreciate it. Do it over there, and only if it affects me as an individual, right? Will I uh, engage? Well, I think, you know, I was lucky enough to sit in on. Um, a session that a showrunner, Melinda Sue Taylor, she was here this weekend. She uh, ran Nancy Drew. She came up on um, Medium, Lost. She's written for all these cool shows. And she had she let me sit in via Zoom on a session where um, the writing staff was one of their first meetings and they had a facilitator. And that facilitator's role was to get everyone to kind of through sort of like games and exercises that are, were pre seemed pretty fun. What is everyone's style? And that's a thing I think it's really important to mm -hmm. accommodate someone's style as an actor or performer or their preparation. It runs the gamut. Mm -hmm. And we should definitely accommodate for that. And what was so interesting about the session was some people, it, it emerged, were like, they want to hang back and kind of read the situation. And then they're going to come in with the cool suggestion or the cool creative idea later. Mm -hmm. Whereas other people are like, I'm I'm a, I'm in your face, and I'm like I want to like really jump in right at the start with like 50 ideas, mm -hmm. and so I think part of leading a creative process is to accommodate all those different styles. Mm -hmm. But m I just wonder, um, do you think there's still too much accommodating of what is just frankly unprofessional behavior? I think so. I think so. Um, uh, that's the showrunner's job, the creator job, yeah. to have to accommodate and balance. And it takes somebody really skilled to be able to do that. Otherwise, that process interferes with the rest of the process. Exactly. And there's often people who uh, thrive on fucking with other people's process or doing this or showing up late and taking their sweet time and, you know, taking the stage when other people come in really prepared or... A, a whole bunch of things that, again, I've witnessed and working as long as I have, fortunately, I've been able to witness. Um, but yeah, that's the, the person who's in charge of the show, who has yeah. to be able to manage and, ban and, and, and balance that. Because, uh, again, someone as skilled as, uh, to, to speak of what we're here for, Scrubs and Bill Lawrence, he's able to not only balance it, but uh, make fun of everybody's process while respecting it at the same time, yeah. you know? And that comes with not taking it so seriously. Yeah. I'm not the person who just like has their script and has like a thousand different notes and suggestions and issues. I have to try it in the room, you know, and then figure it out. Uh, but some people are more vulnerable to that judgment or, uh, or the presentation. They're yeah. so aware of their their public persona or something, so they, they, they need to prepare, and that's absolutely their right. And often that works in their favor. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think that's why, um, 
you know, this one of these myths I keep running into still, it's so, it's so woven into the fabric of even the classic Hollywood stuff that we love. It's like what was, what, you know, what the industry was, it, it so often was like, well, you have to have a thick skin. You have to learn the ropes. But what learning the ropes was, was often you have to be willing to put up with things that in any other <laughs> setting you wouldn't. Mm -hmm. um, and what I, I, I was interested in your thoughts on what you were just kind of expanding on what you were just saying, because I do think people need to feel, I don't know if the word is protected. You tell me the right word, like safe or just supported. supported. Um, I mean, I come from, uh, from an environment <laughs> and a socioeconomic status where you do have thick skin. It's just, and I understand yeah. that it's different now but it's just the way that it was. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? In terms yeah. of what I was telling you before about letting it roll off your back, sometimes just crying in your dressing room, mm -hmm. sometimes bitching to a close colleague. Mm -hmm. But um, my, I'm trying to find the right word, my um, dis, uh, illusion was that uh, I couldn't say anything. I just had to figure it out. Oh. You know, I think, and uh, that's how I understood it as a Latina, as a, a working class poor. Um, as a woman, you know, how much you can take and how you can figure it out, I thought mm -hmm. contributed to my growing success. Um, no, I was just fucking lucky, mm -hmm. right? And uh, all of that, and internalizing all of that and understanding that, just I thought of that, that was keeping me working, you know what I mean? Um, just being able to put up with shit and just, and just get better. People, people like me back in the day, you just, you just have to be really fucking good to work, you know, yeah. a, a, on top of luck. And I was part of a theater company that was a very supportive environment, which is all Latinos, and, and that's how it was founded. And, um, and in this theater company, you didn't have to play all the stereotypes, you right. know, which is kind of like, oh, and you f it was safe to be creative and to do Shakespeare and, and theater that didn't have, everybody had to be like brown, you know, and it's like, not Chico and the man or something like that, mm -hmm. which was, and you didn't see yourself in, in, in TV very often. Not even in telenovelas, everybody was white in telenovelas, unless you were the mate. You know, I remember when I told my mom I wanted to be an actor, uh, and she's like, Pfft. No, you're not. There's nobody like you on TV unless you're doing a telenovela. It's like, mommy, there's no brown people, no black people in telenovelas. That's not true. Such and such, there was, I was like, she was the maid, mommy. She was the maid, you know? And I was just like, it, when I had the epiphany that I'm going to be an actor, it, was, it didn't dawn on me that there weren't enough people on TV like me, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. No, it, it does. I mean, but I'm interested, you know, I love that you decided to forge ahead anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but a thing that I see a lot of is people who had a million different role models and support systems sailing, sailing those seas that were maybe, mm -hmm. for a bad metaphor, much choppier mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know if I'm misreading the situation, I would love to get your input on this, but I think that in Hollywood there's such an emphasis placed on, um, 
you know, obviously for, re for reasons we understand, image or how you present yourself, you mm -hmm. have to present yourself as someone who can, who can hang, you know, you're not going to get flustered, you're going to be cool. Um, but I, that can lead to a situation where people don't speak up. Mm -hmm. They don't feel they can speak up. Mm -hmm. um, and especially as you say, people from, I don't know, sometimes I use the phrase, I don't know if it's people like it or not, but in, in Hollywood I feel like there are historically excluded communities. Yes. And it's been systematic. Mm -hmm. So when people from those communities enter these spaces, there's even more pressure on them. Well, you feel like one of the lucky ones, right? You feel like one of the lucky ones, and you are. You know, so I think almost instinctively, you don't want to rock the boat, not for yourself. Yeah. And instinctively, particularly looking back, I, I had to represent. You know, I felt like I had to represent. So we're doing a, a show like, like Scrubs, uh, I'll tell you a couple of stories. Um, uh, there was some language in, um, in the first season where uh, Carla's Mexican, right? Um, and I go to Bill, I was like, uh, um, so is she Mexican? Because I'm Dominican, right? Mm -hmm. But I, if she's Mexican, I gotta know so that I can do the proper accent. Because one of the things that drives me crazy is when, uh, you know, uh, Latinos are a culture, we're not a race, it's not a monolith, and not everybody's from Mexico or Puerto Rico or Cuba, you know, so, um, and as a person from the theater, <laughs> I got to represent, you mm -hmm. know, because if it bothers me, why the fuck am I going to do it? Right. I go to Bill and he was immediately like uh, uncomfortable and uh, he was like, oh God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was like, no, don't be sorry. I just want to like be an actress and do the, the act, the, do the proper accent. So, no, 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 she can be whatever you want. It's like, I'm going to make her Dominican. So there were like a, and, and every season it would happen where uh, somebody makes a joke about me uh, or a reference of my Mexican family or say, okay, so is she Mexican or is she Puerto Rican? Because I made her Domin uh, Dominican in the first season. Oh God, that's right, I'm sorry. You know, uh, the kind of thing mm -hmm. that's easily taken for granted and, and not represent. But I just, um, and it always gave me so much trouble to actually go ahead. I'd prepare a speech. I'd go in, and I, if, I, if I was going to ask for something, oh, another thing that happened, I remember in the season where, I don't know, if, I don't know what seasons, okay, it's too long ago, <laughs> but there was an episode where Carla was going to put her mother in a nursing home, and I <coughs> fucking flipped. I was like, that, that, that's not going to happen. I was like, Latinos don't put their parents in nursing homes, mm. unless they're Cuban. <laughs> <laughs> They just don't. They just don't. They don't do that. And I was like, how do we fix this? Uh, so we tried an assisted living community where there's elderly. We'll do that because she'll pay for it. And I can see, you know, you don't put your parents in a home when you're not, not, not this Latina. I'm not going to be the first Latina on TV to like, you know. Um, and that's the kind of thing I was like, oh, God, he's going to have to change the script. I have to ask for this. Is it okay? Uh, I didn't realize what a safe environment that was because, you know, I don't think that you know people of color were considered a minority. Sometimes I'll speak for myself. You don't trust white people. <laughs> you don't feel like you're part of it until you know you continue to be. In, and 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 Bill and the writers always responded. You know they always responded. I've had circumstances where I said this is not going to happen. Um, that this doesn't happen. And uh, they're like, well, too bad. And you're like, oh shit. So it, it, it's up to me to do the interpretation of how this makes sense for the character and for me and what I believe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, 
what stories those are. And that's really, I mean, that's the model. I mean, I've always heard good things about Bill. Bill's great. Bill's he great. seems great. Yeah, he, um, and he loves it. And he loves it. It's very important for him to be supportive and kind. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it, it, and it's only looking back, because we always talk about this. I had nothing to compare it to. Yeah. So I just thought it was going to be like that everywhere I worked. Right. It's not. <laughs> Surprising. <laughs> this is shocking to me, Mo Ryan. <laughs> and I do want to say to your point about how things have changed, there are so many more. I think it's shows like ours and the history of television that things, uh, there's so much more opportunities for Latinos, you know, which uh, we'll take, take advantage of and stuff. And, and pe people are figuring out that, you know, ultimately the way this country works is it's making them money. Money, you know, yeah. Um, so that's how they, and I'll, I'll take it. It's an opportunity to, you know, uh, have a, an, a, an original creative input or approach to any new programming by putting, you know, people of color and allowing people and behind the camera as well in the writers' room of producing course. shows. That's the, that's the key that's change. The only way, Absolutely, you know? and at the executive level. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I had an opportunity to talk to some creators of a show. Um, that was wonderful, and the leads were Latino, but none of the writers were. Um, um, there were, and there were promises of, of no, absolutely, we're going to take care of that. Um, and I was like, hmm. Why didn't you take care of it when you were hiring people? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, 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 and again, the, the Catch Twenty Two is like it was a terrific script. Absolutely, terrific, terrific script. Um, but it, it, there's. An, there's, it's not can't say that there's no way. It's just that it's really important yeah. to have that idea, the vision prope propelled and developed by the people that you're portraying. Completely. I mean, I just, on Thursday, I was lucky enough to do a panel for the television show Dark Winds. Mm -hmm. I don't know if any of you were there. And, you know, my whole thing is a consumer of entertainment or of stories. I mean, I love reading novels. Mm -hmm. um, I love going to plays, the theater. Mm -hmm. um, like, I take me somewhere. That's my, that's my wish mm -hmm. for creators. Take me somewhere, and I either don't know this Maybe it's a different planet. Maybe it's a hospital. Maybe it's, I, I don't, like, take mm -hmm. me somewhere, even that's familiar, mm -hmm. you know? Bunch of working class Irish Catholics from the Midwest. I feel like I know that thing. Like, don't, I don't need to see that, but maybe mm -hmm. you can find a cool way to do it, you right. know? So, Dark Winds, to me, it's like, there's now this shift where, in the room, you know, Graham Roland is Native American, he actually was, it was a 40-year development process. George R. R. Martin had to get involved and like sick his dragons on people to like get it made because it's based on these novels, mystery novels that are 40 years. But it, as a mystery reader, I love mysteries. I'm like, That's, this is just a really cool mystery, mm -hmm. you know? And you're taking the viewer to somewhere we haven't seen it a billion trillion times. It's, they were able to film on the Navajo Reservation is like the size of Maine. Wow. And most of it is not shot. So imagine these iconic southwestern New Mexico vistas, mm -hmm. cool mystery happening. I'm like, and then in the writer's room, all the writers were native or indigenous, you know, indigenous. And so they were able to say, well, this coming of age ceremony for the young girls would go this way. We're not going to exposition it to death because the characters are just attending it, mm -hmm. you know as you would a first communion or a wedding or whatever. And so I'm like, but that's still so new. 
It is new, and people don't want to be the first one to fuck up a new idea. You know, they want to wait yeah. until somebody does it, and then it's going to be, this is a cross between Scrubs and, you know, uh, a cop show or something, <laughs> you know, or Scrubs on the streets, or, do you know what I'm saying? And, and once scared. that, like, blows yeah. up, everybody's going to do a different version of the one show. They're really scared. They don't want lose, to lose the money. They don't want to take a chance, and I, yes. I know, like, uh, at my age, getting more into producing uh, uh, things, uh, we've pitched many ideas that are um, exclusively uh, or uh, heavily Latino, that um, people, oh, this is, I love it, I love it. Unfortunately, that's right. like, I, it's amazing, I love the sizzle, but unfortunately, we're not doing this. It's too much of this, not enough of that. We already and have one. it's too one. much of that. We already have one, yeah. Mm. Every single creator of color that I know has told me the same, every single one, an interview's done this year, because mm -hmm. I'm doing hundreds of interviews for this book, which mm -hmm. I hope isn't terrible. Sorry for all the book <laughs> promo. Um, but they all say, well, we have a Muslim project. All right, but that's a rom-com, and I'm doing a police thriller. So, but we already have one. Like, but what if? You have, like, how many streamers do we have? <laughs> we have so many streamers. We ha we're doing, my, my, my husband and my production partner and myself are doing this amazing music documentary about freestyle music. Anybody know it? It's kind of like the music that spawned uh, Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam, right? We got John Leguizamo to fucking direct it. Nice. And everyone who we've pitched it to, and we got an incredible sizzle wheel. Ana Ortiz and myself are hosting it, and she's Love an it. EP as well, and everybody has passed. And we talk about every huge streamer so what? far. We have a few people to go, because fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's, 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 it's really uh, discouraging oftentimes, and you're like, because uh, the, the love is there for the, for the sizzle. I love it. It's got this butt. It's too broad, or it's too narrow, or it's too this or not enough that. I have a version of that on here. We have, a, as you said, we already have one kind of thing. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's a form of music that really you hear in, uh, in, in, in music today. Like all, mm -hmm. the, all the Euro pops already like lifted from there. Everything you hear in information society sing comes from freestyle that version of music. It was shitty, produ shitty production for sure, but that's also something to be able to talk about because all the artists are all Latino. Like, I would li lie, so I would say 92%. There's some, and the fans were not only Latino, but they were like the, 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 the Greeks and the Italians and the Irish from the East Coast, and it was huge in Miami and Chicago. I'm, I'm plugging this fucking thing. Please. If anybody's a producer. I want talk. everyone to, to Yeah, and in San this. Francisco. Um, and then it just uh, fell apart, and those are the things that we want to explore. It was nothing but one-hit wonders. They were all Latin. And of course, that has to do with things. And it, it taps into the cultural and the racial right. conversation right. that we're trying to have, that we're also trying to have in, in the documentary. Um, but until we have EPs and producers and execs and execs that that are that, um, we're really not going to have a response, and that's the long fight. That is the long fight, and I do see that. I mean, I, I do think that there are good faith efforts to change hiring patterns mm -hmm. and to bring people up and bring yes, people into are. these spaces. But it's a long fight, and so, but so many times, you know, how oh, how did you get this amazing TV show made? Um, 
you know, like, you know, Sue Hugh has talked about with Pachinko, there was, you know, an Asian executive who basically, like, went to the wall, like, mm -hmm. a million times. And I've, I've seen that happen so many times. And it could just be a wild and crazy idea. It doesn't even, it, whoever it's from, you're completely right that, you know, we're talking about taking risks and being creative and taking chances and being bold and courageous mm -hmm. and all these things that are great for great art, but all the strings are, you know, are pulled and all the money is held by these entities, the studios and the streamers, that are, the, the execs there, mm -hmm. risk is not good, f they're, they're not rewarded for taking big chances. I mean, they do sometimes, but who do they take chances on? Mm -hmm. It's a very fear-based totally. system, am I right? Totally, yeah. yeah, and the people are unfamiliar, and the ones that we have, so-and-so, who's the head of the Latin department, and stuff like that, but we're still seeing the same things, you know? Um, and it takes being able to um, fail, right? Because it's inevitable. Yeah. Um, and that will only bring new things, you yeah. know? Or sometimes things are supported and produced and stuff, but they're not promoted. You know, nobody <sighs> sees things. Uh, did you all see Promised Land on mm -hmm. ABC? It started off really well, and just the performances on that show are really, really good, but you hardly ever heard about it. Yeah. One Day at a Time comes to mind. What a brilliant, it's on every top 10 list, and Netflix dropped it after two seasons, three seasons? Three, three. Barely yeah, three, yeah, yeah, barely three seasons. And one of the best actors, besides Rita Moreno, is Justina Machado. Mm -hmm. She's my kid's godmother, but still. <laughs> Tell her I said hi, I'm a super fan. But she's incredible, incredible. And it just blows the mind that it didn't, there's so, I mean, of course, it's a matter of personal choice. Um, but so many shitty shows actually uh, go further. Hentified, mm -hmm. Hentified is brilliant. Two se anybody see Hint the Five? Yeah. Yeah. Yo, check it out. Check it out. Let me know if you agree. Two seasons. Yeah. And that's America Ferrara's show. But, you know, that, right. that's the other thing. You have America. It's all women, right? They have America Ferrara. You have Eva Longoria. You have Gloria Calderon, who created uh, One Day at a Time. You have um, Tanya Soracho, mm -hmm. who did Vida. Yeah. You know, and Gloria and Tanya were writers on Devious Maids. Mm -hmm. You know? And um, without them, we, were, we wouldn't be able to actually, you know, um, Latinize the soapification of devious maids. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and that was a fight. That was a fight because, um, I wouldn't say a fight. It was more of a challenge um, because um, the writer's room was uh, supportive and exciting, but it was mostly white. And they, they really, the, the focus or the balance was um, on the bosses and not the, mm -hmm. uh, we, we'd have to always come around to that. And, and ended up having a really good time, but it, w it took real diligence. Yeah, a lot and, uh, of effort. And uh, speaking of that, uh, there was a storyline where the, the magnificent Stu Susan Lucci, who's the sweetest, most hardworking woman, um, where uh, apparently she goes broke, and there's a very expensive ring that she gave me, and I give it back to her so that she can, and I was like, my fucking kid is working in her house with me. I wouldn't use that. I, was, I wouldn't give it to back, I'd put her in college. Right. You know, no, it doesn't make sense. No. It doesn't, and that was a, a, a huge um, um, thing to overcome. You know what I mean? It was like, you, got, it, 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 you get older and you give less of a fuck <laughs> and, you, and you just state your point. It doesn't yeah. mean that you, you're gonna win. 
And it always scares the shit out of you. It, not, it doesn't always work. But um, you, you, you start to, I, from speaking for me, you start to trust your experience, what you see, because there's an enormous amount of gaslighting in terms of gratitude and oh, totally. knowing what's wrong and trusting yourself and your mm -hmm. instinct and your experience in this industry to be able to take those chances and speak your mind for, every, for, for all the reasons that you just stated. Well, I think, you know, again, I love so many people in the industry. I love so much of what it makes. That's why I'm here. But so often the message that is given to everyone who enters, you're lucky to be here. And then the lucky to be here is followed by a lot of behavior that you are gaslit about. Mm -hmm. And I think that, again, that's slowly changing. I do want to, are we going to do question? I, I, how are we? Yeah, please. In the documentary still working on a Bob, they were talking about women's inequality uh, in pay. And there was a chart that showed Asian women got paid more, the most, white women, then black women, and then Latinos. Hispanic women. Mm -hmm. So what have you experienced during your time? Have you noticed yes. anything? <laughs> and could you expand on that and share? And um, how, how does that get changed? That's a you ask for it. You ask for it, you get representation that believes in you. Oftentimes what you find is that uh, your representation treats you uh, the way other people treat you and that you're lucky to be working kind of thing. And that's when you start to feel, I am grateful. Am I not grateful? Should I ask for this? And then you see other people who are you know, lower on the call sheet or less experienced, um, but non-Latino, um, getting more money. And that, uh, for me, that was like when my heart would start beating. I was like, fuck. That's not right. That doesn't make sense. And um, I had to change my representation to work with someone who, who agreed, not only agreed with it, and say, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. I don't think you should take that job unless it's offered, unless it's a friend, and you're not going to do it for this much money. And um, if you stick to your guns in, in terms, or I'm speaking for myself, I'm finally at the age where um, I am making on level. And if I'm not, I won't do it. You know, um, how do you find that out though? How would you even find that out? Like, Melissa McCarthy talking. found out Octavia Spencer wasn't getting paid the same and was like a yeah. show, and so she was like, I'm not going to be on the project. Uh, you know, I, t there's one particular uh, circumstance where uh, working with co stars where we were supposed to be fa favored nations, and uh, we weren't. Uh, and I was like, what? And um, it's just sometimes chatting with people. And uh, where you, uh, you get really comfortable with each other, and then you start talking about money and representation, and it comes up, you're like, you, you never expect it, because I'm always so grateful to work, and, and it's more my goal to be like, A, keep working, <laughs> and be re being really good at what I do, until, you know, it's, it's just not about that. You know, so once you find out, um, you work to make it change or for yourself as an individual. It's only when you do it as an individual that it reflects and encourages other people, you know? During the pandemic, there was finally this start in the theater community about like the reckoning that we've kind of been seeing play mm -hmm. out in other industries. And I know that you haven't like been on stage lately, but I was wondering if you could talk about your experience coming up in the theater in New York. I know you went to Hunter for your training, so I'm just curious 
you know, insights to that? And also, are you looking to be back on stage? Yes, I'm really scared to be back on stage because I haven't been on stage um, since like the middle of Scrubs when I did Some Girls. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just terrified that I, I won't remember all my lines. Um, and my greatest experience in the theater and learning and training is, uh, is and always will be Lab, which became the, the was started as Latino Actors Base, which became Labyrinth Theater Company when we were exploring a more multicultural entity. And to be surrounded by the bravest, most experienced, most talented, uh, uh, mostly Latino actors was such a school such a motivation, such an inspiration, such a competition, and such a challenge. Watching all of them, um, that's what I continue to live up to because everybody in that company still works to this day. Uh, if it's not on the stage, it's on television and beyond and back and forth, or they work as executive producers, they write. Um, uh, that's, the, that's the school that I come from, and that's what I uh, work to live up to. And that's kind of like in my DNA, it's built, it's built in. And I just always hope to make those actors proud. You know, um, I don't know if that answers your question. I don't know if we have time for it, but I'm gonna go for it anyway. I just, I wanna throw it open to you as an artist where you are now, where, what are your hopes and dreams as an artist, as a creator? I wanna know what your- I mean, my hopes and dreams are really to create stuff like that documentary that I was telling you about, like uh, an animation that in, that's an all-inclusive animation that I'm developing, kids that play soccer, which is the biggest sport in the world, mostly performed by Latinos all over the world. Um, and, ju and, and just get behind uh, the camera and a change, continue to change television and and be a part of uh, good work and, and, and new things and take, take those risks and be allowed to take those risks yeah. uh, that uh, white male executives mm -hmm. always have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Pretty much. Is yeah. that fucked up to say? Yeah. No. No. <laughs> we were all thinking it. Um, we're done now, right? I assume we're wrapped. Um, Judy Reyes. You have been listening to the TV Campfire Podcast, hosted by ATX TV co-founders Emily Gibson and Caitlin McFarland, and produced and edited by Sarah Light. This conversation was recorded live at ATX TV Festival Season 11 in Austin, Texas, between June 2nd and 5th, 2022. For more information on the festival and becoming an ATX TV member, follow us at ATX Festival or visit atxfestival.com.